As we begin this morning, I want to give you a bit of a disclaimer. I believe our people in this room this morning who have been running from God and dragging a suitcase full of stuff that's dragging you down. And the disclaimer is, in about 20 minutes, I'm going to invite you to stop running and to let the suitcase go. Now, let me tell you about one of the things I struggle with. I, for the life of me, struggle to remember the names of people I meet. I'm a bad pastor, you guys. Does this, you know what? It happens to you too. You can't judge me. <laughs> it's hard to remember names of new people, right? You tell me your name when I meet you, and then like five seconds later, it is gone. Like I never even heard it. And there are a few uh, reasons why this might happen. And one of the most compelling reasons I've heard explained why this happens is when you, when you meet a new person, right? You reach out your hand to shake their hand and they tell, your <clears throat> tell you their name and you tell them your name. The thing you're most concerned about is not them. The thing you're most concerned about is you about you presenting yourself well, about you putting your best foot forward, about you presenting yourself in a way that they're going to like. And so you're thinking about yourself. And so you're wondering or thinking or subconsciously, you're like, I hope this person likes me. I hope they remember my name. And then when they say their name, you're not even listening to them because you're so concerned about yourself. And I think this is true. I think this is my problem, right? I want to make a good first impression. So years ago, I started to do this to solve the problem. Knowing it's a problem, you've got to do something different to solve it. And so when I meet new people, in my brain, that's up here, when they say their name, I'll subconsciously just be like, I say their name like three or four times in my head. Like try to get those pathways, those neurons formed and remember their name. And so I, I, this is a practice I do. It's, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But we were hosting, uh, you've probably heard this before, we were hosting a Bible study out of our home and uh, a new couple knocked on the door, and uh, I'm like, I'm going to remember their name. I'm going to remember their name. And so the guy, he reaches out his hand to shake my hand, and he's like, hi, my name is Glenn. And I'm like, Glenn, 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 Glenn. And I reach out my hand, I'm like, hi, my name is Glenn. <laughs> and, which is awkward, because that's not my name. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, right? It's an awkward first interaction. And here's the thing about names, right? You can tell a lot about a person's relationship, about a relationship between two people, about the intimacy of that relationship by what they call each other, right? Uh, some people call me Pastor Lucas, and, and that's because they probably don't know me very well. They don't know that I think it's a little bit weird to call me Pastor Lucas. Like, James, have you ever introduced yourself as, hi, I'm financial accountant James? No, like, no you, you haven't. Eric, have you been like, hi, I'm rock star Eric? <laughs> <laughs> you don't that's not a thing right so if, if you call me pastor lucas it's probably because we're not really close we're not really very close and then if you call me lucas right my friends call me lucas and uh and that's because we're probably a little bit closer you know call me lucas we've, we've got some uh sort of relationship and then if you call me luke We've probably known each other in a long time. We have probably like been through some stuff together. We have probably had some fights that we've gotten over. Right, Steph? <laughs> and But there's one name that no one is allowed to call me except my wife, Adrian. 
And we, when we started dating in grade 10, uh, she had a nickname for me. And one day while I was in my biology class taking an exam, so the room is quiet, there's 60 kids in there, and uh, the room is quiet, my six-foot-tall blonde girlfriend pokes her head into the door of the classroom and says, good luck, sugar muffin. <laughs> and that's what every 10-year-old boy wants to be called by their girlfriend. And then there's two people in this world who have a special name for me. My boys call me dad. When they're afraid, they climbed up into my lap and I helped them to feel better. And when they were sad, I laid with them in their bed and we sang songs to make them feel better. And when I was proud of them, I picked them up and I held them in the air and told them how much I loved them before he was 300 pounds and six foot four. <laughs> but they call me dad. And it's one of the most intimate things anybody has ever called me. The names that we have for people in our lives reveal the intimacy of the relationship. What name do you call God? What does the way you address God reveal about the nature of your relationship with him? How do you open your prayers with God? Are you formal? You're just like, oh, hi, excuse me, sir. It's Lucas again. Sir, thank you for taking your time to listen to this prayer. Has it been so long when you pray that you always feel like you have to reintroduce yourself? You're like, hey, God, it's me, Lucas. You might remember me from such prayers as uh, I got my head stuck in a turnstile, help. Or I lost my glasses again, help. In his book, Christian Atheist, uh, Craig Rochelle, this book is available for purchase in the lobby. It's what this series, message series is based on. I highly recommend you buy the book and read it. Uh, in his book, he summarizes a few less than intimate names that people have used for God, right? The big guy upstairs, the man in the cloud, or the ever-famous dear six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus, right? These names are funny, but they're not intimate. They're not personal. But maybe for some of you, God's been there for you through thick and thin, and so you know him as friend. Maybe when the tough times happened and you didn't know where you were, you know, you were, your, your resources, where your money was gone, you didn't know what, how you're going to pay your bills, and God showed up, and so now you know him as provider. Maybe a diagnosis has just become this awful memory that you don't have to think anymore because now you know him as healer. And maybe you were lost and broken and alone and Jesus found you and he picked you up and dusted you off and he told you how much he cared about you and now you know him as Savior. Now, when it comes to Jesus, you can know about him without actually knowing him. Some of us know Jesus only by his reputation. We believe in him, sure, but we don't have the first-hand knowledge about Jesus. He's just the big guy upstairs. And so we know belief isn't the same as experience. Belief isn't the same as personal knowledge. And for many people, the very idea that you can have a personal relationship with God seems ridiculous. It seems unattainable, inconceivable. But right from the beginning, God has sought to have a personal relationship with us. 
wants us to know him. It is in his nature to be personal. The story of the Bible is the story of God over and over and over again, reaching out towards us, inviting us into a relationship with him, into friendship, into belonging, and into family. Now, in the beginning of your Bibles is the story of creation, right? How the universe came to exist. And it's a story of how God created humanity. The Bible records it this way in the book of Genesis. He, he says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. This is that song we sing, Great Are You, Lord. It's your breath in my lungs. This is what we're seeing. God breathed life into man. And then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. In the beginning, God made the first people. We call them Adam and Eve. And he gave them everything that they needed. He made for them this perfect place called Eden, a place for them to live. All their needs were met. And best of all, they knew God face to face. They knew God face to face. They knew him by name, and he knew them by name. But something happened, right? You might know this story. They began to believe a lie, Adam and Eve. They began to believe that God was keeping something good for them, from them. He was hiding something good for them. And so they began to, they decided to disobey his loving direction. They rebelled against their creator, and they turned their back on him. And the truth is, they almost immediately regretted this decision. And they, in their newfound shame for having disobeyed their God and turned their back on him, they hid themselves from God. Now, what happens next in this story is something that's highlighted, underlined, and circled in my Bible. If you've got a physical Bible, which I highly re recommend having a Bible that you use, you should highlight, underline, and circle this verse too. God asks a powerful question, a question that would shape God's intention towards humanity for the next age. In Genesis 3, 8-9, it says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees in their shame. And then the Lord God called to man, Where are you? Where are you? Where have you gone? Why are you hiding from me? This instinct to hide when we've done something wrong is common, right? This is, this is something we understand when we feel shame about something, when we've done something wrong, we're embarrassed and we want the people we care about and the people we love not to know and we hide from them. The last three days we've had this Soul Care Leaders training event. It's been in this incredible couple of days. And honestly, the whole thing is about God shining a light into the dark places of our souls so we can get rid of the things that hold us back. I know this feeling about wanting to hide things really well. Uh, when I was seven or eight, I was just a kid. I can't remember how old I was, but I was at the corner store in Dickensfield in the one penny candy aisle. You remember those? Do you remember when you could get a candy for a penny? Guys, I sound like my dad. 
That's embarrassing. I was in the one penny candy aisle as a seven or eight year old kid in Dickensfield, and I looked left and I looked right, and I stuffed some candy in my mouth. I thought I got away with it, and as I was walking out the door of the shell station, the attendant grabbed my shoulder. She said, I caught you. You're not allowed in the store anymore. And I ran home crying, you guys. I was so embarrassed. And I didn't tell my parents, right? I didn't confess. I just, I was just so full of shame that I had stolen and been caught stealing. And so I like, I got in my house, like nights, it went on for nights, this shame, this little kid feeling bad about being caught stealing. And then came a day when my mom was like, can you go to the store and get some milk, Lucas? Did I tell her the truth? No, I lied through my teeth. Mom, that crazy lady at the store, she said she saw me stealing, and she said I couldn't come back, but she's lying. She's a liar, Mom. And my mom, bless her heart, she dragged me to that shell station, and she yelled at that attendant. She said, I know this boy. He would never have stolen. I've got four other kids. If you said it was one of them, I said, yeah, they sure did it, but not this kid. He's my good kid. Now, after a couple of sleepless nights of shame, I ended up confessing to my mom after that I had lied to her, too. And I don't think she ever went back to that shell station ever again. When we betray our integrity, right, when we sin, when we screw up, when we do something that we know we shouldn't have done, shame fills us in this desire to hide from other people, to hide our shame, to hide the things we've done, takes over, and we run, and we hide. And so Adam and Eve, in their shame, they hid from God. And God calls out, where are you? This is our story. This is the story of Scripture. From the beginning to the end, it is the story of God blessing us, of us turning our back on Him, and Him pursuing us for reconciliation and forgiveness. God found Abraham. Right at the beginning of your Bible. God found Abraham in the middle of nowhere. A man who was depressed because he was old and he didn't have long left to live and he had no heirs, nobody to leave his legacy to. And God found him in the wilderness and God said, your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. He found him hiding in the wilderness. In desperation, a slave girl named Hagar ran away into the wilderness with her son, and, and she, she was desperate to get away from her conditions, and food ran out, and water ran out, and she was about to die, and she was about, her son was about to die, and in that moment, God found her in the desert, alone and running, and saved her. And she would call God the one who sees me. Joseph had been betrayed by his brothers, right? You know the story of Joseph? He was sold into slavery and eventually found himself wrongfully in prison. God found him in shackles in prison and lifted him out. Moses, right? You know the story of Moses. Moses' shame caused him to run into the wilderness to hide from his adopted family and to hide from his biological family. And he hid in the wilderness until one day God said, that's enough. Stop hiding. God found him, and he saw the suffering of the people in Egypt, and he used Moses to lead them out. God found Gideon hiding in the bottom of a wine press. He found Ruth at the end of her rope and hopeless, and he found David 
tending the sheep in the field. God finds us where we are. He is relentless in his pursuit of his people. There is no place we can go to hide from him. There is nothing we can do for him to give up on us. The psalmist said this best in Psalm 139. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in the darkness, I could not hide from you. When we fail, God does not turn his back on us. When we lose faith, God doesn't. When our shame compels us to hide our face from him, he calls out, where are you? A Christian atheist is someone who believes in God, but doesn't believe God cares about them, doesn't believe that he loves them someone who believes in Jesus, but whose shame causes them to hide and miss out on a meaningful, personal, powerful relationship with their creator. Guys, this morning is time for us to stop hiding. Now, in Luke's account of the life of Jesus, that's the book of Luke, the gospel story of the life of Jesus, there's this powerful story about a man named Zacchaeus. And Jesus has invited himself into the house of a notorious sinner, a man with a reputation as a notorious sinner. And Jesus shows up in town and he finds this guy. It's kind of a funny story. He's in a tree because he's so short. He wants to see Jesus he's in a tree. And Jesus says, hey, can I come to your house for dinner? Now, it's kind of rude to invite yourself over to somebody's house for dinner. But when Jesus does it, we give him a pass, right? And so he goes to the house, Zacchaeus' house, this notorious sinner, and people are grumbling, right? They can't believe Jesus would be associated with this kind of person. And then he goes to Zacchaeus' house. And what does Zacchaeus do? He says, Jesus, I'm a bad man. I have stolen. I have ripped people off. I have been dishonest. And I'm going to make it right. This notorious sinner finds redemption in telling the truth to Jesus. He stopped running. He stopped. He, he didn't hide his suitcase of shame. He let Jesus see it. Jesus looked at those who disapproved of his relationship with Zacchaeus. And he said this. It, it helped Jesus form his his mission statement for why he came into the world. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. To seek out the hiding, to seek out those who are lost in their shame, to seek out those who have turned and ran away from him. And he offers them hope, belonging, and healing, and salvation. In Fort City, this is a church. This is a place where we do not bat an eye at notorious sinners. We do not make people who are far from God feel bad about being far from God. We have no shame 
and no condemnation for people who are running from God and whose lives don't reflect Christian values. If that's you, you are welcome here. Jesus came to seek and to save. And it's our mission, Fort City, to be the sort of place where people far from God can find rest for their weary souls and discover that when they're ready to come out from hiding, Jesus has been right there all along saying, where are you? We're going to close in a moment with a, a moment of worship chance to respond this morning, so I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And The thing I want you to take away this morning from this is that Jesus wants to know you personally. He wants to know you intimately, not by reputation and not just in your memories. <laughs> One of the problems we have here at Fort City is people like to dump their garbage on our lot. We come in Sunday mornings, we always got to clean up, you know, people out there in their cars Saturday night, smoking pot, eating McDonald's. They just throw it out their window after they're done, right? we got to clean it up. But we've had things like play sets and mattresses. And so we show up, we just got to throw this stuff out. And uh, my mom, Carol, who used to be the church admin here around 12 years ago, um, she, was, she worked here. And uh, one day she came into the office and she came into the parking lot and someone had left like five or six bags of garbage just in our parking lot. And uh, my mom had had enough. And so she went in the building, she put on latex gloves, and she went through that garbage and she started searching for an address. And, and she found some mail with an address on it. And then she wrote a nice, kindly worded letter to that address. No, she didn't. She piled all that garbage up in the trunk of her car. She drove to the address that she found on the mail in the garbage and she dumped five bags of garbage on their front step and knocked on the door and confronted them. Just like there's no hiding from Carol, there's no hiding from God. He's going to find you. You can't hide from God. He knows where you live. And he knows what you've done. And he still loves you anyways. And so as we close this morning, I want to make two invitations to two different kinds of people in the room this morning. Today, first, maybe you haven't been running from God because you don't even believe in anything. You're just here because someone you care about dragged you out of bed on Sunday morning to go to church. And yet today you find yourself here kind of full of doubt, full of unbelief. Suddenly in this moment, something is happening. The Spirit of God is warming your heart. He's reminding you, maybe for the first time, telling you that you matter to Him. And this morning, if you've never taken a step towards Jesus, this can be that moment. That moment where you say, I want to stop running and hiding. I want to belong to something bigger and better than anything I've ever belonged to before. And that's, if that's you this morning, I want you not to leave this place today without talking to our prayer team that's going to be over here. 
this, these people will help you craft a prayer where you get to say, God, I, I don't understand everything about you. I don't know everything about you, but I know this. I'm, I'm ready to stop running. I want to follow you for the first time. If that's you, please, don't leave here without talking our prayer to you up here on the side of the stage. And second, maybe you've trusted Jesus with your life. But somewhere along the way, the weight of your shame, the weight of your suitcase full of regret has caused you to go into hiding. You once knew his forgiveness and love, but you're now consumed by guilt, shame, and feelings of unworthiness. You want to hide. Today is a day where you can ask him to let his forgiveness wash over you fresh again, just like the first time. To commit new to living in the light of Jesus with others. You guys, this morning, Jesus is calling out, where are you? This is your opportunity to say, here, Normally, uh, when we make invitations like this, we want to make them safe, right? Um, and so we don't ask you to do anything except for go to Jesus with this invitation. We don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, so we let you sit there and we say, just go to Jesus. You can, you can be private, you can be personal with Jesus in this moment, accept this invitation. But I, I don't want to do that. I'm a little afraid that if we wait till the end of the service for you to go to the prayer team, uh, that you may lose courage and walk out of this place still holding that suitcase of shame that you came in here with, that suitcase of regret. And so um, I'm going to push us. I'm going to challenge us a little bit. If you're ready to stop running from Jesus, in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're ready to stop dragging around all the things that are holding you back and making you regret your decisions and holding you back from living a life full of the good things that God has for you. I'm going to invite you to stand because I want to pray for you and I don't want you to walk out of here before you get a chance to give those things over to Jesus and to stop running. And so let's just take a posture of prayer. Right now you can close your eyes. And so Spirit of God, I just invite you right now in this room Call out those words you love to call. Where are you? And to give us the courage to answer, here I am. To stop running. To accept your gift of grace. To leave behind the shame, the bitterness, the struggles, the religious, all the things that hold us back, Jesus. And so here's a challenge. If that's you today, if, that, if you want to commit fresh again to following Jesus, why don't you just stand? This moment, I'm going to pray for you. This takes courage, right? There's a bit of accountability when you're in a room with 100 people. But I want you to have courage this morning. God has more for you than living a life in darkness, living a life on the run, living a life with shame in your hearts and hurts in your souls. He wants you to stop running. He wants you to give it up. And so... For those of you standing, I thank you for your courage. 
And if you're sitting and you're, you're it's, it's too much to stand up, but, but you want this for yourself, I'm going to pray for you too. I'm going to give you that. So let me pray for those of us standing right now. Jesus, I thank you for these people. These people who are ready to say, enough is enough. I've been running away from God. I'm ready to run towards Him. And so, Spirit of God, I ask you to bless these people. Bless them with faith. Bless them with faith in these moments. Bless them with fresh forgiveness. Bless them with a confirmation of their identity, who they are, that they're children of God, that they're part of the family of God. Remind them that you love them. And there's nothing they can do, no sin they can commit, no place where they have been, no place where they can go, where you have not pursued them. They matter to you that much. And they're issue of their value settled at the cross when you chose to die to make a way for them to know peace and so bless them fresh again today each and every day pray this in the name of jesus amen